Welcome to another edition of Solar Speaks. My name is Stephen Bushong. I'm an associate editor at Solar Power World magazine. On the line today is Tom Conroy, the new president of Solar Tracker Manufacturing Company, Array Technologies Inc. He joins the company with 30 years' experience in the renewable energy space. Thank you so much for being here today, Tom. Thank you, Stephen. It's a pleasure to join you. So, in previous roles, you have led generation plant startups, technology introductions, and project developments. It seems to me you tend to bring new things to the market, from products to power plants. So, will you continue that trend as president of Array Technologies? Stephen, I started my career several decades ago as a young engineer starting up coal power plants. I did that both domestically and overseas. I've spent the years since then introducing services and power generation products uh, across both wind and, and solar. And in that regards, the transmission to or, the transition to array technologies has been seamless because we're in the midst of introducing our latest generation of utility scale trackers. This new product, the new generation, incorporates all of ATI's field learnings, which have been gathered since our original tracker was introduced in, in 1989. And we are confident that it delivers the lowest cost of energy in the industry today. So it's exciting to be involved in the introduction of another advantaged power generation product. Um, since you brought that product up, when will you introduce that product to the market officially? The product will begin shipping in volume in the May-June timeframe of this year. Very good. I uh, also read that part of your responsibility at ATI will be to establish the company in fast-growing solar markets around the world. So which markets does ATI plan to enter, and why are you going there? This is a great question, Stephen, because, of course, solar's recent rapid and unprecedented reductions in cost have really opened up a lot of new markets around the globe. But an interesting thing, when you look around the world at, at many of these countries, they have not yet been able to implement and to realize the economic benefit. As, as you know, solar is generally recognized as the lowest cost peaking resource today, and trackers then provide the lowest cost solar impl implementations, but also give the best correlations to peak demand. Within ATI, we are currently studying our options for international expansion. Where should we go? When will we go? Etc. And we're going to be moving forward aggressively on a plan within the next few months. I'm sorry, the next few quarters, but I'm not prepared to share with you here right now exactly what countries will be entering in what sequence, but we are we are heading in that direction. I understand completely. Um, I know that a lot of companies are moving into uh, South America and, and Mexico, so uh, maybe we, we would see some movement in that direction eventually. I won't press you. I was just curious. Well, in, just in that regard, we are actually, as we speak, installing our first project utility scale project in Chile and and we do we do recognize that South America is, is certainly a high opportunity market uh, and as far as where we go with 
some of the other countries down in South America will will hold that in abeyance for now. So before joining ATI, you consulted uh, with solar and wind companies as CEO and owner of Evolving Energy. I read a little bit about you, and I noticed you have quite a bit of experience on the wind power uh, side of the renewable energy equation. Uh, you even hold a patent in turbine-related technologies. I was hoping you could tell me what you've learned in the wind power industry that you'll bring to solar and array technologies. Yeah, I think, Stephen, that the, the wind industry is a, is a great place for the solar industry to look for learnings because it's been through some of the evolutions and the booms and the busts with the uh, expiration of the PTC and the ITC over over the last five to ten years. But that said, the wind industry has made tremendous strides over that time. Like solar, the prices, the LCOEs have come down at a rate of seven to ten percent a year for the past four to five years. The the senior strategic guys I know within some of the turbine OEMs tell me that they expect wind's COE to drop below the marginal costs of natural gas generation plants within two more technology iterations for the wind turbines. And of course, in, in the last company I ran, I sold a next-generation wind turbine tower to GE, which they're now commercializing. There's a couple of 139-meter variants of this tower going up in Germany within the next couple of months. And that tower is expected to reduce wind LCOE by another 10 to 12%. And so the message with wind is that they are continuing to march down the technology and the cost curves in a highly aggressive fashion. And the parallel is at ATI, we are absolutely pursuing the same path that is showing to be successful in the wind business. We are continuing to apply innovative design approaches to our proven product set. And, and the entire focus is on reducing solar LCOE, which leads, of course, to project maximization values for our customers. The variables within the equation that we keep our eyes on and we're working to optimize, of course, our initial installed costs, lifetime O&M costs, and then also risk-related financing costs. It sounds to me like what you've learned is that cost is the driving factor above all else. And if solar is going to continue to grow, then you must bring down the cost. Would you say that's correct? You know, you're right. I, I implied that without stating it directly. I, I've been in the generation business for a long time. I said since I was a buck engineer coming out of college uh, a number of decades ago. And one thing I've learned in, in all these years is that given equal technology compared to equal technology, cost always wins. So what that means is if you're comparing coal to coal or natural gas to natural gas or wind to wind or solar to solar, um, cost is always, is always, of course, the, the bottom line result. Cost, though, taking into account all the variables, including some of the risks, which are often harder to quantify, although the, the finance the finance community will do it for you if, um, if, if you give them the opportunity. And, and so 
certainly in that regard, cost is the bottom line. And then the next, of course, the next equation becomes, well, what what new technologies, specifically renewables in terms of wind and solar and geothermal and storage, how are these technologies going to be able to displace the incumbent technologies of coal and nuclear and natural gas? And again, it comes down to, uh, at the bottom line, uh, sim- simply the, the LCOE or the levelized cost of energy. And so, uh, of course, right now, the renewable space is, is pretty focused on uh, the generation technology, natural gas is, well, they're not focused on it, they're focused on cost, but natural gas is the, the most substitutable technology back and forth with renewables. And so I think both wind and solar are focused on, on getting LCOEs below that of natural gas. Uh, in order to be able to gain more market share. Great insight. Thank you, Tom. WTWH Media, the publisher of Solar Power World, also publishes a magazine called Wind Power Engineering and Development. Uh, I used to work on it. Um, so I'm curious about the, uh, the tower technology that you, that you sold to GE and uh, maybe how you improved upon the towers just just briefly, if you wouldn't mind telling me a little bit about that. Yeah, the, the tower value proposition was quite simple. You can go higher for the same amount of cost. And so as a general rule, a 100-meter space frame tower, which is the, the nomenclature of the new product, has the same lifetime installed cost as an 80-meter tubular tower, which is the standard today in the United States for about 99.9% of the wind turbines across the country. What that extra 20 meters does is it gets you into a higher wind regime and more laminar flow as well. And if you can get there for the same cost, basically you generate about site-specific anywhere from 10 to 12% more power at no more cost, which flows right to the bottom line, or of course can be uh, essentially submitted as a lower PPA price and therefore reduce the cost of energy. Thank you for uh, satisfying my interest on that one. But uh, back to solar. Uh, IHS uh, recently reported that the single axis tracker market is set to grow 120%, reaching nearly $2 billion by 2019. Uh, What will ATI do to ensure its place in the market going forward? Are there any trends that you might capitalize on? Well, I think there's a couple of things. In in the United States, if we look at the history of the wind business and the expiration of the various incentives, um, there tend to be shakeouts when that happens, which, of course, in the U.S. would happen in the 2017-2018 time frame. And, and something that that accompanied the wind business also when that occurred is there was a shake out of players. Um, so we'll see how, we'll see what we intend at, at Array Technologies is to be a survivor, a strong survivor beyond that point. And the way we're doing it is we're just relentlessly pursuing continuous improvement on our tracker systems. And as we said earlier, we are also actively engaged in looking at international markets. Uh, one of the things that's come up in, in that research, Stephen, is a lot of countries out there are not aware of the economic benefits of trackers. 
they they're missing, of course, um, about what would turn into about a 10% reduction in solar COE, moving from fixed mount to tracker systems. And we are planning to address that issue with educational and market outreach. Some say uh, flatland for solar tracking, especially in eastern states, is becoming limited, forcing development on undulating landscapes. Um, curious if ATI will pursue tracking solutions for hilly areas, or maybe you already have one. I like this question, Stephen. This was actually another part of the value proposition of the wind turbine tower, so something I've been focused on for years. Um, and we at ATI today, actually, with our current product set, already have the best ability in the industry to adapt to undulating terrain. We have the capability to install on grades up to 15 degrees in the north-south direction, and it's nearly limitless, the terrain adaptability we have in the east-west direction. These are uh, much uh, stronger baseline specifications than any of our competitors have, and so we, we think we do have an advantage as some of these best optimal sites, which of course are large area, flat, close, closest to transmission, are taken, that we're, we're well positioned to make sure that the secondary attractiveness sites and the third order sites, in fact, we, we've got a product set that's, that's well designed or any glitches to be able to, um, that are suitable for those sites. Very good. I've just seen many, many beautiful photos of your trackers uh, erected on flat land. So (laughs) just wanted to ask about that one. I know there are uh, many nuances to this issue, but in your opinion, which way is the solar industry heading? A big tracker motor turning many panels or a bunch of smaller motors turning fewer panels? A great question. A A lot of people thinking about this issue right now. Stephen, I've been a new technology commercializer for most of my career, so I'm a huge fan of new technologies which lead to lower generation costs. But again, I go back to some of the parallels in the wind industry where I I did commercialize a new technology being a tower. Um, But the wind industry, starting about 2008, went through a period of entry by a number of new turbine OEMs, some of which sprouted up here domestically and others which came in from us. And many of those companies were working to introduce new and innovative technologies. There's there's a great deal of advances on blade diameter and new blade technologies in the wind industry as as well as other components components of the wind turbines. So it was at that time there was just a lot of activity there was more demand in the industry than a lot of new entrants it was it was really the wild west of new technologies and a lot of new wind turbines were de- were deployed unfortunately the the story doesn't necessarily have a a great ending because not all of these new designs and turbines that were introduced were ready for utility scale prime time. And as a result, um, a, a number of own wind project 
owners were left with technologies that were problematic and unreliable and and you know a real a real problem related to generating um, continuously and in, in such a way as to provide the cash flow streams needed to pay the the finance entities and as a result of that what happened a number of these companies disappeared from the market and it has actually in the wind business become virtually impossible to deploy untested technologies until they're well matured in smaller projects over time and what what has occurred because of these products that were introduced and and basically had a number of field issues which required shutdowns for long periods of time even though the vendors paid the liquidated damages associated etc cetera, etc cetera. the project finance guys uh, were were simply completely unforgiving of this and if you look back at the history some of those players now are gone and others have such a premium um, for the financing costs that they're really not viable participants anymore in the market. So the, the finance guys are looking for zero new technology risks, and they're looking for any new technologies coming in to demonstrate that over time. And I think what's going to happen in the solar industry is something similar, that as we go down this same path, we're going to find some of these new technologies uh, work well and others don't, and we'll see which ones survive the, the shakeout and make the grade. So we're not sure yet which way the industry is heading. Uh, I, uh, that's a, I think that's a safe statement, yes. You have said one of your goals is driving down the cost of electric from utility-scale solar. What's your goal in terms of cost and how long do you think it will take to get there? The discussion of cost and utility-scale solar generation, or utility-scale generation in general, it always fascinates me. Electricity, of course, has a value that varies hour by hour throughout the year in any given location. Of course, solar energy production at the most valuable times, and that helps make this whole question of cost competitiveness uh, the burden or the barrier is lower. But your your question, Stephen, really has so many ramifications. It's interesting because it depends where what geography you're talking about because that impacts the LCOE of the solar system. It depends on your cost of energy in a local market. What's the cost of displacing the, the existing incumbent generator? Um, of course, the, any need for additional capacity, which has been a problem in the U.S. over the last five-plus years, is another issue, but a geographic issue. And then, of course, even without the economic incentives, there's varying levels of political pressure for the rate of change to renewables, which is applied in different areas of the country. So it, it's it's a tough question to address and it's got a lot of complexity to it what i would say to you rather than try and get into that detailed discussion is that within ati our our sole focus is simply to take every step we can to drive down the lcoe of solar as quickly as possible and that's that's what we're focused on and that's what we're doing a very complicated question that could have uh, many answers for sure but for a final question, hopefully a more straightforward answer, 
Um, what's your favorite part about being in the solar industry? I am really enjoying meeting and working with all sorts of new and different people who are united in their commitment around getting more emission-free, no-water usage, cost-competitive solar energy into our energy mix around the globe. It, it's an important mission, and I'm just proud to be a part of it. Is this at all why you got into the uh, renewable energy industry in the first place? It, it is. It is. I, I had started off in starting up fossil fuel plants for a number of years with Foster Wheeler and uh, started up plants in the U.S. and Spain and even the first coal plant on the island of, in the country of the Dominican Republic. During that time, I mean, I saw a lot of different fossil. I was on an 800-megawatt crude oil generator here in the U.S., which uh, never actually started up because its scheduled COD date was in 1973 and, and then again in 1979, which was when the two oil crises hit. But, I, Stephen, I regard energy as, as one of the top two or three critical issues facing the world. So, yes, it is why I got back into it, and, and I am passionate about it. All right. Well, thank you so much, Tom, for spending time with us today and sharing all of your insight about the industry and array technologies. And I really appreciated uh, hearing a little bit about your previous work in the wind power industry and how that applies to solar. So thanks again for uh, spending some time with us today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Stephen. My name is Stephen Bashong for Solar Power World. This was Solar Speaks.